This is the Thorn Podcast, the show that navigates the complex world of wellness and explores the latest science behind diet, supplements, and lifestyle approaches to good health. I'm Dr. Robert Roundtree, Chief Medical Advisor at Thorne and Functional Medicine Doctor. And I'm Dr. Frank Lipman, New York Times bestseller and Functional Medicine Doctor. As a reminder, the recommendations made in this podcast are the recommendations of the individuals who express them and not the recommendations of Thorne. Statements in this podcast have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Any products mentioned are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Thorn Podcast. Here I am with my co-host, Frank Lippman. So, Frank, what's new with you? Right. Well, we, we should start calling this the Dr. Bob and Frank show, by the way. I think that's what <laughs> I called it on my, on my newsletter. You know, what's new with me is, you know, we here we are in New York watching the numbers slowly go up, um, much slower than a lot of parts of the rest of the country. But everyone's a little bit scared. We, we, we're hoping because most people in New York actually wear masks and social distance. I mean, I, I, I think because New York went through such a tough time, most people are actually listening to the experts are telling them to do. So it doesn't seem to be a major problem here in New York, but the numbers are going up slowly. What's happening in your neck of the woods? Uh, same here, where our numbers are definitely going up. Similar to New York, it seems like it's not a big spike. It's kind of a slow increase. I also get the impression that the docs here are getting much more skilled at figuring out who's getting really sick fast and, you know, put, putting them into a different category yeah. and, and who can be managed at home. My hope is that that also means that there's more opportunities for people to use nutritional uh, interventions. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I know that your thinking is that we've got a parallel problem with people having chronic metabolic disorders. Yeah, I think this is we have two epidemics, you know, the epidemic of metabolic ill health that is going on in particularly in America, but in England, too, and not as much, let's say, in other places in Europe. And you have that overlaid with COVID and then you, you, you're having, you know, serious or, or negative outcomes. It's much harder to recover properly. So this is the problem. And I think we, you know, I think we as functional practitioners have a responsibility to really get that message out and, you know, that they're not disconnected, these two epidemics. Absolutely. And, and there's a third epidemic that's going on right now, which is one of autoimmune disease, which is actually the main topic for this week, which overlaps with COVID because now there's some people saying that these COVID long haulers, the people that get COVID and then they continue to feel ill for weeks, if not months afterwards, that may be a kind of autoimmune disease. Now, I, I know that the common conception of autoimmune disease is that that's something that is better dealt with by a rheumatologist or perhaps a gastroenterologist. So it's thought of as maybe a relatively rare disorder that only specialists should deal with. I wonder what your thoughts are on that. Well, I have a couple of thoughts now that you brought up um, autoimmune disease and rheumatologists. I think there's this myth in the culture. Once you have a autoimmune disease, you need to go to a rheumatologist, uh, which is unfortunately missing the point because where, why 
your body starts making um, antibodies to your own tissues is what we should be thinking about. In fact, I think functional medicine is really the prime place for autoimmune patients to go to. And I think they tend to be heading in this direction. I'd say at least 50% of the new patients I see today are autoimmune problems, especially young women. And, um, you know, they've been to that, that particular specialist, whether it's an endocrinologist, if they have Hashimoto's, a gastroenterologist, if they have celiac, a rheumatologist, if they have lupus or something, and they're not getting help because these specialists are not looking at the underlying issues of why these people are making antibodies to their own tissues. And as we know in, in functional medicine, uh, what, or, or the way I look at it, it's, it's pretty simple. I mean, most of the autoimmune patients I see either have a leaky gut, which we've talked about and we can talk more about, or have some chronic low-grade infection. Um, either they've had it or they has been missed, you know, whether it's Lyme or some kind of infection, or sometimes even Epstein-Barr, some of these viral infections. But those are the two big issues I see uh, predisposing people to autoimmune problems. You know, obviously stress always seems to make it worse. You know, people talk about heavy metals as well as an issue or toxicity as an issue. But the two underlying factors that I see in almost all the autoimmune patients that I've been seeing are a leaky gut and or chronic low-grade infections. So what, what has been your experience, Bob? Uh, well, I would I totally agree with that. Um, I think the important thing for people to understand is that autoimmune diseases don't just develop overnight. They take years. Yep. Uh, often these antibodies that indicate that the body is attacking itself or is lost tolerance, those antibodies can appear a decade before the person starts having joint symptoms or skin rashes, etc. So this is a long, drawn-out process in most people, whether it's an infection, as you said, or uh, a combination of an infection and leaky gut, uh, which uh, what that's doing is allowing fragments of food that we're eating or uh, or fragments of bacteria in our gut to get into the bloodstream and stimulate the immune system excessively, uh, which leads to this lack of tolerance. The one thing I might add to it is environmental toxins. Right. That is based on the, the observation that probably the number one risk factor for developing rheumatoid arthritis is cigarette smoking. Huh. If somebody smokes cigarettes, that dramatically increases their risk of getting rheumatoid arthritis. So obviously, most people that smoke don't get rheumatoid arthritis. But if a person's got a genetic predisposition and they smoke, then it puts them in this very high risk category. So then you have to ask, well, what is it about smoking? It's the toxins. It's the free radicals that get into the lungs that then aggravate the immune system. And if you do that for years and years, again, this is not an overnight thing. It takes years and years of this constant battering of the immune system before it finally breaks down and loses tolerance to itself. Right. Uh, and the good news is there's something we can do about it. That, that implies that autoimmune disease is preventable. And that's the... That's the question I would pose to you. How do we prevent autoimmune disease? 
Right, and it, before we answer that, that's a really good point you brought up because now that I'm, I'm thinking about it, now that I've started doing more of this genetic testing, um, which is more of a functional medicine genetic testing, a lot of these autoimmune patients have detoxification problems. They, what, what, what's it, the GS... PM, you know, the, the GST, the, yeah, the glutathione. GST, yeah, the, the enzymes, are, but there are a couple of them and they, that work together, but they often come back with detoxification problems. So, as you put it, when you put years and years of not being able to metabolize and metabolize toxins efficiently, add on a little bit of stress, maybe a microbiome imbalance with a leaky gut, and with or without a chronic low grade infection, because not everyone has the infection you get an autoimmune problem. So you, you have to put all these pieces together. My experience is you often can work out what the underlying, you know, the problems are upstream and help the patient with, you know, whether if there's detoxification problems, you give them nutrients to help the liver. If there's a leaky gut and microbiome imbalance, you use, you know, whether it's prebiotics and you use nutrients to help the leaky gut. So there are ways, I mean, it's very interesting, although it does take time. I mean, this is not something that gets fixed in, in, in a couple of weeks. It does take time. I mean, my experience has been pretty good with um, trying to sort out uh, autoimmune problems. Not always, obviously, it's, everyone's a little bit different. But for the most part, I think with this model of looking for these underlying issues and correcting those imbalances, um, the outcomes are usually pretty positive. So I've uh, I've had certainly had patients who went to a rheumatologist or specialist who said once you've got an autoimmune disease you always have it. Right, which what is nonsense. You? No, yeah. absolute, absolute nonsense. I mean, I've seen a number of people not only. You know, some people actually get better and uh, feel fine and reverse their symptoms, but their antibodies still stay positive. But I've seen a number of people whose antibodies reverse completely. I mean, the most well-known one that I know, because he had so much press about it, is Seamus Mullen, the well-known chef who had severe rheumatoid arthritis. I mean, really severe. He was actually in ICU. I mean, high, high numbers. You know, he had parasites and all sorts of gut problems. And she all started with a parasite in Mexico when you went back on his history. But we had to use rounds of antiparasitics, antifungal drugs for his gut. Uh, we, we, I think I gave him a month of tetracycline. I mean, I gave him, you know, hardcore antibiotics. But eventually, not only did his symptoms go away, but his rheumatoid factor went away completely. So... Yes, I think your 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 symptoms often can go away, but your your actual antibodies can go away as well. Not always. The symptoms, for some reason, the antibodies still stay positive. They may go down a bit, but they still stay positive. Although people uh, can become symptomatic, and that's been my experience and yours. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the most common condition that we see is Hashimoto's thyroiditis. Right, uh, and I've certainly seen people, especially in the earlier stages, yeah. who can have these very high-level antibodies, anti-thyroperoxidase, that you know you put them on selenium and fish oil and ashwagandha, and you know 
heal the leaky gut, probiotics, things like that. It takes time, but I have seen those antibodies get lower and lower and lower over time. Again, if somebody has had this condition for years, it makes it harder to reverse. But if you get them in the early stages, then it's definitely reversible. Absolutely. Been my experience, exactly. Do you have any favorite nutrients that you used? I mentioned uh, using fish oil and, and selenium, etc. Do you, do you have anything in your armamentarium that you think people should know about? Well, you know, often there's a leaky gut issue, so I'm all, I'm a big, big fan of using high-dose glutamine. Yes. Um, I use colostrum from time to time as well, in addition to the glutamine. I use fish oil. But the, the big issues are correct, you know, the leaky gut is usually a reason for that. So you're often treating the microbiome. So I'm using antimicrobials, I'm using, um, you know, whether we, we're trying to get it back, resistant starch or your prebiotics. You know, the, the idea or, or the way I work with this is try and get the gut right first and, you know, with the antimicrobials and then other nutrients. And as we talked about these nutrients for the leaky gut, and uh, that's where I start. And that that's sort of level one for me. And then I'm move on to, you know, you mentioned some nutrients for for the thyroid, so it depends what, where the problem is, but um, I tend to be using uh, curcumin more and more now, mm -hmm. and yep. um, sometimes even resveratrol, and actually, to be quite honest, this is because of you, Bob, you once gave a lecture a couple of years ago in New York on anti-aging, and you brought up some of those pathways I can't remember which specific pathways. Well, the mTOR. Uh, right, there was mTOR, but but there were a couple of pathways. But what I noticed was curcumin, quercetin, uh, and I think it was a couple of these nutrients seem to come up all the time. Yeah, and, over and, and over again. Yeah, so I tend to use those nutrients over and over again now as well because they yeah. seem to be so multifaceted. So I use curcumin and quercetin much more now for these autoimmune problems too. Yeah, and I have to say that I've uh, I've become a big fan of the phytosome form, curcumin oh. phytosome, quercetin phytosome, just because it helps absorption when you use it in that version. Interesting, okay. Curcumin is not very well absorbed. I think absorption is less than 1%. So you have to do something to it if you want to get it into the bloodstream. So even if it's, you know, we usually tell people to take it with fat, Yep. So it needs more than that. So the curcumin phytosome. Yeah, Mariva. Mariva is the brand I like. Okay. Just I just think you get better results and you don't have to use quite as much of it. Sounds good. Yeah. So uh, you're right. I love I love quercetin and I love curcumin. And it's it's interesting that many of the pa the pathways involved in aging are similar to pathways that are involved in autoimmune disease. So as we get older we're at higher risk for autoimmune disease. And that's because our immune system just don't work as well, which also kind of ties into older people being more susceptible to COVID. Right. So the immune system is more prone to making mistakes as it ages, which means older people need more immune support. Right. So that's why I take, and hopefully you do too, as we are old farts, Bob, I take my curcumin and quercetin every day. Now. Every day, every day. I mean, both of those are kind of in my core group of supplements. Yeah. Uh, that I take, uh, and 
You know, I also take probiotics. And now um, because of what you brought up, I've gotten very interested in these bacteriophages and wondering if they may be something yep. that I want to use in my regimen. Yeah, I think these are, are quite intriguing, these bacteriophages. But we'll talk about that when we talk about the microbiome more. We, we can dive into that. Yeah, I, I just I do want to comment about the microbiome, which is that a lot of my patients that come in with, say, an autoimmune joint disorder are really surprised when I say, I want to test your gut microbiome. And they yep. think they say, well, wait a minute, this disease is in the joint. It's not yep. in the gut. And I would say, no, it starts in the gut. Uh, and now we've got emerging evidence that autoimmune disease frequently starts in the lungs as well, which is that connection with cigarette smoking. Interesting. So it can start, you know, any place where the body is interacting with the outside world, which would be lungs, you know, even the mouth, yeah. there's uh, evidence that certain bacteria in the mouth can predispose to autoimmune disease. Yeah, which makes sense because, you know, when we do some of these stool tests, um, some of the bacteria that we pick up are associated with autoimmune diseases. So those same or similar bacteria, I would assume you'd find in the lungs, in the mouth or any microbiome. Fascinating to to see how we are getting much more sophisticated. Well, functional medicine anyway, I wish traditional docs would go there, but I think we're living in an interesting time in terms of being able to sort of really target where the problem is and treat it, and often treat it without drugs, which is great. You don't have to use these heavy uh, biologicals that are, are used for these autoimmune problems, which have side effects, and you know, so it's actually, a, I'm really enjoying seeing, I mean, it's a horrible thing to say, but a lot of these autoimmune patients are very interesting because it's very rewarding for you as a physician to see them get better, for these patients to see they can get better by changing their diets and just taking some supplements and changing their lifestyles. So it's a true testament to the power of good functional medicine when you can help these problems that Western medicine cannot help. Now, do you also use Chinese medicine with them as well? Because I and I, I bring that up because I know in, in Chinese medicine, that concept of restoring balance uh, is very central. Uh, interesting question, Bob. Do I use Chinese medicine to help my autoimmune patients? I actually don't, to be quite honest. I I use maybe the the philosophy or the concepts of creating balance. Uh, so Chinese medicine in terms of autoimmunity has helped me understand or uh, think in, a, in a, a way that that has helped me. But I really don't use Chinese herbs for autoimmune patients, partly because I just don't know what they're doing. I'm much more comfortable and have had a lot of success with just changing people's diets, using traditional supplements, uh, getting them to relax, sleep, etc. So the usual you know, lifestyle medicine, for lack of another term, rather than Chinese medicine. It's just more the, my understanding of how the body works has been helped tremendously by Chinese medicine thinking, but I don't really use Chinese herbs. Interesting. So we need to take a short break right now, and then when we get back, we'll take some questions from our listeners. Want to stay up to date on the latest nutritional and wellness news? Then head over to thorn.com 
and visit Take 5 Daily to sign up to have free wellness content delivered directly to your inbox. You'll get access to news, videos, and other expert insights covering everything from immune health, diet, and lifestyle advice, and the latest wellness research in an easy-to-digest format. Visit thorn.com to learn more. That's T-H-O-R-N-E dot com. And we're back. So now it's time to answer some questions from the community. Our first question this week comes from a listener who asks, are autoimmune diseases easy to spot if you aren't looking for them? Could I have an autoimmune disease and maybe not know it? Well, that is actually a really good question because autoimmune problems are just defined in Western medicine when they do a blood test and they pick up an antibody to certain tissues. So they're often not checked for unless you go to an, endo, you know, an endocrinologist or check for thyroid antibodies. I, I would say that Probably many autoimmune diseases are not picked up because we don't even have tests for the particular antibodies because autoimmune disease is just means your body's making antibodies to your own tissues. So that probably missed a lot of the time and we only have certain antibodies that we can check. But if you're having low-grade chronic problems, whether it's fatigue or puffiness or swelling or any problem that you've had for a while, fatigue, even though it may not be picked up by a traditional doctor, you could have one, and it doesn't mean it's a serious problem. So I, I in a way, treat a lot of my chronic, uh, or my patients with chronic issues, in a way like they have autoimmune problems. To me, you know, autoimmune disease is just a label, and a meaningless label at that. Could you have some low-grade chronic problem? Yeah, you'd know if you've got a low-grade prob problem. Can you assume it's an autoimmune disease? You can, but then you need to reframe the way you think of autoimmune diseases because it's not necessarily a bad thing. We need to look at why your body is reacting in a certain way. And once again, to me, the autoimmune label is in a way meaningless and can be dangerous sometimes. Yeah. I, I agree with that. Um, I think we've we've really changed our thinking about autoimmune disease. I know in the early days of immunology, it used to be believed that autoimmune diseases were incompatible with life. And so the standard thinking was that autoimmune diseases couldn't even exist. And then the mainstream docs gradually started accepting the fact that there were things like lupus or autoimmune uh, hemolytic anemia, you know, they would say, okay, well, those exist. And then they began to realize what rheumatoid arthritis was. Well, that's even gone to the point of saying maybe autoimmune diseases are happening all the time. Yep. All the time that we are losing tolerance to our tissue. Our immune system is getting out of whack. But most of the time, the immune system is going back into balance. And so the cases that show up in a doctor's office are relatively small percentage of those that persist. So it isn't like you get an autoimmune disease and then you're stuck with it. It's more like you get one and it's persistent, which is a different concept than saying you have it forever. Yep. So, exactly. so yes. Um, the second question is, 
anti-vaxxers say hygiene could be a reason for autoimmune disorders. Can you confirm or debunk this notion? Well, that's a that's a complicated, multifaceted question. Yeah. Okay. Well, first we'll debunk that that's related to hygiene. But let's talk about what anti-vaxxers mean. I mean, you know, being pro and, uh, you know, this whole anti-vaxxer story is very uh, complicated because vaccines are, you know, it's it's a new, it's like in America, unfortunately, I found that it's everything's black or white. There's no yeah. new, there's no nuance. Yeah. And, you know, to me, vaccination is a nuanced topic. I'm not anti all vaccines. I'm not pro all vaccines. Uh, I'm not, I'm definitely not an anti-vaxxer. Everyone's worried about the COVID vaccine. If, to me, if the COVID vaccine is safe and effective, it seems like it could be quite effective. I would take it. I'm not against vaccines. What, what, what is your take, uh, Bob? Well, I agree. I'm, I, I don't think it's black or white. I'm not in the, in the pro or con camp. I really think every single vaccine and every single individual needs to be considered. So I, exactly. I, the first thing is, I don't believe that there's a huge conspiracy to force us to get vaccines so companies can make money. I, right. You know, I'm no fan of the drug companies, but I prescribe drugs. And, you know, if I have patients that say, I mean, at least before the pandemic, they would say, yeah, I'm going to go to the Congo, you know, the Central Africa and potentially get exposed to all kinds of illnesses. I would say, you know, by all means, you should get vaccinated. Yep. So it really depends on the individual. So I don't think vaccines are all bad or all good. I do have some individuals that are so sensitive that I think, okay, maybe you should avoid them. But when you're talking about population health, it's that's what makes it complicated. Yeah. You know, herd immunity. So that's a complicated question. The other issue is, could hygiene be a reason for autoimmune disease? I think there's pretty good evidence that... Uh, if we live in an environment that's overly clean, that predisposes us to autoimmunity and to allergy. Um, so, you know, I'm a big fan of, uh, you know, not being overly protective of newborns. Oh, is that what they mean? Is that what the question? That's what the question. So they're, what about the, the hygiene hypothesis? Oh, like, okay. Can okay. you be too clean? You yes, know? And yes. Kids that grow up in farms, kids that have multiple yep, siblings, yep, 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 yep. have less autoimmune disease. So Yeah, okay. You know, I misunderstood the question then. Yes, I agree. Then I, sorry, I'll confirm that. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, maybe we need a little more exposure to dirt. Yep. I agree 100%. <laughs> and we yeah. need to be a little less paranoid. So... The next question is, what should I do when I'm pregnant, but I have an autoimmune disease? Well, my experience has been actually most pregnant women that I've seen with autoimmune diseases, the pregnancy, for whatever reason, obviously there's a hormonal component, seems to tamper down the autoimmune problem. Almost all the autoimmune patients I've seen who've gotten pregnant have actually gotten better during their pregnancy, their autoimmune problem, which is quite interesting. So, Bob, you know, you know, tell me what you think. And, and while we're there, why do you think women are more affected by autoimmune diseases than men? Because that's also been my experience, that most of my autoimmune patients are actually women. Um, well, that's certainly what the data shows, that for most, most autoimmune diseases, like lupus in particular, Sjogren's syndrome, uh, the overwhelming majority of people affected by it are female. And that overlaps a little bit with the pregnancy issue. If you think about what's going on in pregnancy, you have this 
foreign material in your body. You have a fetus, right, which has got different genetics um, and the molecules on the surface of the of the fetus's cells are different than that of the mother. So theoretically, the mother's immune system, if it's working correctly, should reject the fetus. And that does occasionally happen, but most of the time that fetus stays there for nine months. So, well, if you're having tolerance to that foreign material, maybe you're also having tolerance to your joints or to your thyroid or your liver or whatever other tissue was being attacked by the autoimmune disease. So interesting. Uh, and, I like that explanation. That makes sense. Yes. So, yeah. So uh, uh, oftentimes in pregnancy, um, you don't really have to do anything with the autoimmune disease. And what's the theory is that it may be the estriol. So estriol is a certain type of estrogen that seems to induce tolerance. So it may be that simply producing that normal hormone which really is only high in the woman during pregnancy, uh, that, that that can help. Otherwise, I don't use a whole lot of supplements during pregnancy. Yeah, no, no. You know, I, yeah. I, I tend to be very careful. Yep. Um, and the main thing is to try to keep the gut microbiome healthy and, you know, the, the leaky gut at a minimum by minimizing alcohol, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, that sort of thing. So yeah. that overlaps with why are women more affected by autoimmune disease? I will say there are two theories. One is that estrogen can be converted by some women into a form called the 4-hydroxyestradiol that actually stimulates the immune system or aggravates the immune system to cause autoimmune disease. The other thing is that women in general tend to have a more robust immune system which is good if you're trying to fight off an infection like COVID, but not necessarily good if the immune system is being triggered uh, by, say, a toxin or cigarette smoke or a virus or a bacteria to respond to itself. So the reason why is because part of the immune system is on the X chromosome. Women have two Xs. Interesting. Men yeah. have an X and a Y. And so because of that double whammy of two X chromosomes, that allows women to have a better immune system in some ways, but one that's more reactive in others. So, yeah, we could probably talk about that for hours, uh, but that's that should be something for our listeners to think about. So that's all the time we have for today. Thank you all for listening. Thanks for listening to the Thorn Podcast. Make sure to never miss an episode by subscribing to the show on your podcast app of choice. If you've got a health or wellness question you'd like answered, simply follow our Instagram and shoot a message to at Thorn Research. You can also learn more about the topics we discussed by visiting thorn.com and checking out the latest news, videos, and stories on Thorn's Take 5 daily blog. Once again, thanks for tuning in and don't forget to join us next time for another episode of the Thorn Podcast.